All right, let's talk about our graves get turned into gardens, eh? Um, because there is, there is a process. And actually, Faye in the song she chose kind of explained the process in, in the process of the songs, which is pretty neat. Because God does indeed turn graves into gardens. He turns that which looks like a stump into a shoe, and he transforms everything, basically. At least that's my experience of him and the experience of lots of people that I know is it does actually change everything. But of course, there is a process of how he does that. He doesn't just do it. Uh, he, he does it in a certain way. And I want to just unfold that way again. And we're going to, if you want a title, you can put the joy of surrender. Um, last week, I, I said I found it fascinating that everybody wants to experience resurrection in the sense that they want things fixed. So most people want things to be fixed. They want the finances fixed, the house to be fixed, the relationships to be fixed. Uh, they want the job to be fixed, the health to be fixed. And I guess resurrection is the ultimate fix, really. Um, it seems to be common in every part of the world. Uh, I've observed it everywhere. But what I find less common is the ability... You see, it can't be resurrected until it's dead. And it has to die in order to be resurrected. So lots of people really, oh yeah, resurrection, we want resurrection life, we want all this fixing going on, but nobody wants to actually go through the process to get there. Because there is a process to get there. Jesus went through the process, I'm going to talk you through the process Jesus went through at Easter to get resurrection life, because it's the same process you and I go through. Um, it seems lots of people kind of, you know, for Good Friday, it's like this moment to pass by as a staging post for Easter Sunday. It's like that video, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming, so we'll just get through Friday really quickly, speed through Saturday, and then we'll just spend all our time on Sunday. But actually, Good Friday is not just a, a staging post. It's an important part of the journey. And you can't rush through Friday. You can't rush through death just to get to the life bit. You have to go through the death to get to the life. And so I've come to this place where I shared this with you last week. I think dying's fantastic. And I, I, don't, I don't mean physically dying, although I, I don't really see why that's a big deal, because as far as I'm concerned, I aren't going to die. This physical body will, as it is already doing, start slowing down and creaking a bit more. Um, and eventually it'll give up the ghost, literally. But I'm not going to die. This tent's going to die. That's all that's going to happen. I'm just going to seamlessly transition from one dimension to another. That's what's going to happen to me. I mean, the best person in a room when somebody dies is the person that's died if they know Jesus. It's rubbish for everybody else, but the person that died, it's like, happy days, man. Not really, like, happy days. But anyway, we won't, we won't get into that. But, but there's something in the process that Jesus goes through, through Easter, that's vital for us to stand and see. Because as well as ushering resurrection life in, Jesus was also showing us how to access that life. Because we access the resurrection life of Jesus by walking the same path he walked to get that resurrection life. We, we have to walk that same path. Now, not, well, not the same path, because you don't have to be crucified. Well, not literally anywhere. But a similar path. Because the story of Easter is really the story of any person who wants to fully live life and walk in resurrection life. So the story of Easter is Jesus dies and then he's resurrected. Well, that story is the story of anybody who wants to walk in kingdom life. And if we really want to know what it is to live, then we've got to embrace the whole of the story 
not just the part we like. If we are fully live, and by fully live, we mean walk in the fullness of significant security and self-worth that is only properly and fully available through Jesus, then we won't just look forward to resurrection, but we'll learn to embrace death as a beautiful part of the journey towards that resurrection. I love it when you get excited about what I'm saying. A life lived in the kingdom of God is a life lived in the knowledge and reality that you will have to die in many ways and at many times. But here's the thing. These deaths are always voluntarily deaths. They are always a conscious choice that we make. They are never deaths that are formed upon us in any way, shape, or form. And by deaths, I mean, well, we'll get onto it. I can say this because this is how Jesus died. He died a voluntary death. Jesus gave up his life. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. And it might be a bit, a, bit, a bit of a subtle distinction, but it's a really important distinction for lots of reasons. So Jesus was not killed. Jesus gave up his life, and I'll show you in his own words from the Scripture. I want to explore Jesus' death a bit now, because if you, if you misunderstand how Jesus died, you will misunderstand how you were meant to get life. But if you understand how Jesus died and the process and the voluntary process of it, you'll understand how you were meant to gain more life. So Jesus was not killed but gave up his life. And that's a, a subtle distinction. Because you see, some people would say, that, and this is a little bit of theology for a moment, that the cross is the place where God punishes Jesus to satisfy his wrath and anger at sin. Some people would say that. I would not say that. Because uh, I don't see it. I don't see it in the Bible. and I, don't see, I can see how people could get there from reading the Bible, but I don't see it. Firstly, because I can't bring myself to believe that a lovingly heavenly father, who we are told multiple times is love personified, at some point decided he was in the punishment business. No good father punishes his children. He corrects them. He rebukes them. He disciplines them. And there are consequences to those children's actions which would otherwise hurt others or themselves, but he doesn't punish them. No good father punishes children. I've tried, I've done my best. Uh, sometimes I've done it all right, sometimes I've done it less all right, but I've tried to teach my kids to correct them and rebuke them, but I've never wanted to punish them for what they've done. I've never gone, right, you're going to suffer now because of what you've done. I I've tried to teach them and I've tried to correct them and I've tried to... And what I've found is the more that I've come to know the Father, the more I've filled with the love of the Father, actually, the more I don't even want them to absorb the consequences of the wrong thing. The more I love Jesus, the more I, I want to take the consequences of their wrongdoing off them onto me. But of course, that's not very helpful in bringing up children because they have to learn their own way. So my fight, more often than not these days, is I want to go, it'll be all right, don't worry about it, it's fine. I'll just take on the consequences of what you've done wrong. Because that's what the father's like. But of course, that's not always helpful because people have to learn that consequences happen. And that when you act in a certain way, certain things happen. So this is the challenge of fathering and mothering. But more and more, my instinct is to take the consequences of their mistakes on me so I pay the price for their mistakes. You know, it's just simple things like, so, so we have a policy in our house. The first time you smash your phone screen, mum and dad pay for it. The second time, third time, fourth time, you pay for it. Okay? To try and encourage you to actually look after your phone. But every time I see this smashed phone, I'm like, oh, it's a lot of money for them to pay, isn't it? I could just pay it. Not that I've necessarily got that money in my pocket, but I'm like, oh, pay. 
he did his best. He tried really hard. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't throw it on ground in purpose. It just fell out of the car. <laughs> I wasn't talking about Sam. It's happened about 57 times. I've got four kids. It happens a lot. Although I did smash it the other day. But, but, but you get me like, like now, the, the, before, 10 years ago, I'd have been like, Sam, you Wally, what are you doing? You're going to have to save up for that and pay for it. Bless him, he's just started working. His first pace packet's going to have to go pay for his phone being fixed. <laughs> but of course, my, now I, who is learning to love like the father, go, oh, I, I, can't, I can't let him have his first pay packet and he go on his phone screen. I don't want that to happen. But of course, he also has to learn that leaving his... Anyways, let's not get into that. But, <laughs> but there we go. But listen, if that's my heart, is when he's just starting to learn of the deep, deep love of the Father, then what does Father think? I'm just learning what it means to love like the Father. I'm like, I'm in shorts, man, in terms of this stuff. I'm learning. As far as I'm concerned, God did not kill Jesus to satisfy his anger. To be even clearer, God didn't kill Jesus full stop. God allowed Jesus to be killed. They are two very different things. To say that God killed Jesus implies God somehow made people do something to Jesus. Okay, well, if God made people do something to Jesus, that means God controlled somebody and manipulated somebody to do something. Well, then it's definitely not love. How could God, who has, who has got, given everybody free will, cause any human being to do anything? You can't. You, you choose. That, those are the rules. That's how it happens. It's impossible. Unless God sent him a lightning bolt from the sky to electrocute him, which it didn't seem to happen like that from the story, then God didn't kill Jesus. What happened was that God allowed Jesus to be killed in the ultimate act of fatherly love, which is a very subtle but important distinction to make. And Jesus was killed by those who were terrified his claim to be king would upset the status quo. If you read through the stories of Easter, you see that it's Jesus' claim to be king that upsets everybody. It upsets the political elite, it upsets the religious elite, it upsets the crowd. In fact, Luke 23, 25 says, Pilate handed him over to their will. To their will. The religious elite killed Jesus, the Roman Empire killed Jesus, Judas killed Jesus, the Bain mob killed Jesus, the centurions killed Jesus. Ultimately, man killed Jesus because man didn't manage to understand what love was. And God, in his incredible love and desire to make sure we got the message about love, sat back and let it happen. Ephesians 1 tells us he knew all along this would happen, and his love was so great he allowed it. The power and message of the cross is not so much in the fact that Jesus was killed, but in the way both Jesus and the Father permitted it to happen. After all, in Matthew 26, 53, Jesus says, I could call 70,000 angels to come down and help me, but if I did that, you wouldn't understand what love is. So I'm not going to. He talks about 12 legions, that's 70,000. 70,000 angels, he says, I could just do this and they'd be right here and they could all be wiped out. But if I did that, you would not know what love is. And I want you to know what love is. And love is giving myself up. Hence why he said these words. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit. Nobody took it from him. Nobody took his spirit. He could have hung there he could still be hanging there alive if he wanted to. He went, okay, this is the moment. I'm giving it up now. And he chose the moment that he died. Because he gave up his spirit. 
Give up that Greek word. It means to surrender, to yield, to transmit, to give over, to deliver up. Jesus' life was not taken from him. It was something he gave up. And the giving up of his life was a conscious choice made by Jesus. And the path that Jesus takes to giving up his life is the same path he invites you on. Not a path where he demands anything of you or insists you must give this up or that up. Jesus does not demand surrender. He invites you to surrender. There is no demand from Jesus. There's just an invitation. There's no demand. Just an invitation. But I have learned that living a life of surrender is wonderful. It's such a wonderful way to live. And I get excited about it because God is never asking me to surrender anything that is, that is not good for me or not help. Hang on a minute. God is never asking me to surrender things that are good for me or healthy for me. He's never asking me to surrender anything that's good for me, healthy for me, or brings me life. Never ever has he asked me to do that, ever. And he never will. He's only ever asking me to give up things which are unhealthy for me and which are not bringing me life. So we have to, and it's the same for all of you, and we have to ask ourselves why we would fight something. Why would we fight giving up something that's not good for us? It's a str- just, just think about it for a moment. Lots of people fight giving up something that's not good for them. That's a weird thing, isn't it? And we put a lot of energy into fighting about it. We put a lot of energy into it. It's a strange thing, but yet almost everyone, in fact, everyone I think I have taught has this struggle to give up that which is not good for them and to receive something that is good for them. What a strange thing. But the reason I think surrender is brilliant is because I know through experience as well as faith, but now experience, that it's a surefire way of resurrection and more life. But dying, giving things up, it's tough. Even what we have is painful for us, and we know it doesn't do us any good. We find it hugely difficult to give it up. And that's because we feel like we're giving part of ourselves away. And in truth, we are giving part of ourselves away. When we've lived a certain way, or thought a certain way, for so long, to choose to give it up feels like we're losing part of ourselves. That's the thing about death and surrender. It's a loss. And we are like hardwired to not do loss. But of course, every death involves a loss. And every time you choose the path of surrender, it feels like a terrible loss, even though you know the things you're giving up are no longer good for you. This, this can be particularly true when you're moving from one season to another. When you've been involved in something that was good and right, but the time has come for you to move on. It can feel like a death and a loss, but it's the only way of moving to the new is to embrace the surrender. And of course, as Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. So just thinking in the garden, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he knows what's coming, he's aware of it. And he's going, Jesus, if God, if there's any way we could do this differently... I'd really appreciate that. So that means Jesus knows what it's like to feel like that. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to look at a path and go, I'm not sure I want to walk that way. Is there another path we can go? But then Jesus goes, but not my will, but yours. He understands what it's like to look at the road ahead and wonder if there might be a different road to take. But he also understands that if he trusts the Father and walks the paths the Father lays out for him, he will see the resurrection life he desires. If he trusts the Father 
and walks the path the Father lays out for him, he will see the resurrection life he desires. For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your life for my glory, you will continually discover true life. That is my lived experience. But if you choose to keep your life for yourself, you will give up what you try to keep. And of course, the thing about dying and surrender and giving over is we worry what we'll get in return. When it comes to walking with Jesus and thinking about giving up our view of ourselves or our view of the world or our view of other people, of, of dying of old thought patterns or habits or ways of behaving, we often prefer what we know to what we don't know. Even if what we know is harming ourselves and those around us. So even if we know it's not good for us and we know it's keeping us in a bad place, there's something about, well, at least we know it, that kind of keeps us there. But, but as, I, as I shared last week, here's the truth about the kingdom. When you die or something, you always get much more back in return. I have never known anybody listen to Jesus, surrender something, and go, well, what I got back was rubbish. Has anybody in this room given something to Jesus and got something better in return? Put your hand up. Okay, look around the room. Okay. So to walk in the kingdom of God is to live a continual life of dying, which means you live a continual life of living. That's what it really means to know and love Jesus. But this, this surrender, this dying, it's not some sort of dark, lonely, self-afflicting thing. It's not some like, well, I'm going to beat myself up because God's telling me I've got to die. No, it's about life. And I, and I love living life because I've seen what I get in return. I've seen that time and time and time again, when I've chosen to die at something that wasn't helpful to me, I always got something better back. God has never shortchanged me. I've never given him something and been worse off, ever. My entire life, I've never been worse off. When Jesus chose to give up his life, he got resurrection life back for himself and the whole world. And he is the pattern and example of it. Think of all the things that go on in, 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 in our lives. And I mean things that are internal to us. Okay? Think about the guilt you walk around with every day. The sense of shame that you carry. The anxiety and fear that you live in. The pride and ego that get in the way of your relationships. The nagging sense that you're never good enough and not worthy to be loved. All those things need to die because they're not helping you. But God is not going to take them off you. You have to give it actually up. Because that's how death works. You give it up. There is resurrection life available in Jesus. But first, there must be a death. There must be a giving up, a giving over, a sense that even though I feel like this is my identity, I want to give it over to you because it's not doing me any good. Surrender is a wonderful thing. And again, the only thing Jesus asks you to die to are those things that are not helpful and not good for you. He doesn't ask you to give up those things which he designed you to enjoy. He's not some sort of killjoy who wants to strip you of all the fun stuff. Now, there may be a season when he goes, this is not helpful for you right now. And in order to get it into balance, you have to stop doing this thing so it can come into a right balance. And you may be able to get it back. But that's only because it's out of balance in the first place and it's stealing from you and taking something from you. Listen, God's the God of the living, the God of full life, the God of goodness and wholeness. But let me finish by being super clear. Jesus gave up his spirit. He surrendered it, he yielded it, he transmitted it, he gave it over, he delivered it. Jesus' life was not taken from him, it was something he gave up. And he invites you on the same journey.
This giving up of life was a conscious choice made by Jesus. And the path that Jesus takes to giving up his life is the same path he invites you on. Not a path where he demands that you do it or insists that you do it, but invites you to surrender. And again, the only thing that Jesus will invite you to surrender to him are those things which are not good or not helpful for you for the season you are in. And that will be different for every person because we're all in different seasons. So what he asked me to surrender is not what he'll ask you to surrender because you're not me and I'm not you. And you can thank God for that. It may be that things in a previous season were helpful, but now you're in a new season. In order to grow, you've got to do something different. So you've got to surrender that which was good before that got you here to continue to walk in that which is good now. An elite athlete doesn't just keep doing the same exercise again and again. They do some, 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 uh, some exercise that get them to a certain point, and then they give them up and get some new ones. And then they give them up and get some new ones. If you're going to learn and grow, you've got to keep doing new things all the time. That doesn't mean the things you did were bad. They were just necessary for then. And there's something necessary for now. It may be there were ways of living that got you through a time and helped you conquer something. But now Jesus is calling you deeper and into something more. And to go deeper means giving up what worked before to do something new. It may be something very practical that needs to change. It may be a grievance with someone. A grudge that needs to let go of so forgiveness and healing can flow. What is it that Jesus is asking you to surrender? What is it that you need to surrender, yield, transmit, give over, deliver up to Jesus so resurrection can flow? Because he turns graves into gardens. That's what he does all the time. That is my lived experience. But we've got to choose to go, okay, Lord, I'm hearing you. Because I think he talks to us all the time and most of us are aware and we know what he's talking to us about. We've just been fighting him for a little while. For some people it might be, well, actually, I've never really started a journey with Jesus. So the first thing I've got to go is, okay, Jesus, I want to start a journey with you. I want to know more about you and start a journey with you. Well, that's a beautiful place to start. Because God does incredible things. Do the musicians want to come? I just want us to, I want us to spend a few moments Just pondering and thinking about it. I realize there's all sorts of... Um, and, you know, we sing these beautiful songs, don't we? I surrender all. None of us mean it at all. Um, that's the reality, at least not in reality. We might mean it as a heart's desire, but in truth we'd be more transformed than we are if we actually had surrendered it all. But maybe it's good to just think about right now. Because I, I believe Jesus has been talking. I believe Holy Spirit's been speaking. I believe there are some things that you know. And it might be, like I say, it might be a very practical thing. It might be a very simple thing. It might be a deeper thing. But I just want to give us some moments to just ponder it and think about it. And maybe one of the things I find helpful is we can sing one of those songs that's got I Surrender in it. I don't know which ones, but uh, whatever. But I, I often change the lines of songs. Just because it's written up there, I don't mean you have to sing those words. You can sing whatever words you want. But I often change the lines of it. So, you know, whatever it is that you want to give up, maybe you've just got to sing it to him. And just sing it out to him in whatever it might be. 
And, and as Andy said, it's great, you know, it's great to think it, but there's something powerful about just saying it and speaking it. So, yeah, we're, we're going to sing and we're just going to see where God takes us with it. But I want to encourage you that there is a beautiful resurrection life available and surrender really is a joy. It really is a joy because God will never, ever shortchange you in any way, shape, or form.